0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, welcome to the program today. Do you ever get the feeling that Satan is getting the upper hand in our world today?
1: Oh, we sure do, Jimmy. I mean, if you watch the news, one of the many news uh, streaming news networks that they have, or if you read social media, you see so many things that are taking place in the world today that seem to be anti-God. And uh, it seemed to be directed by Satan. And it's easy to maybe think that he is getting the upper hand. But we do know, and this is the reason we study Bible prophecy, we do know that we know the whole story. We know who is going to win in the future. And it's why it's so comforting for me to study Bible prophecy.
0: You're exactly right. Uh, We've been doing this for a long time, starting off with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father for. A lot of years in the 90s. uh, I forget how many years and how many programs we've done, but it's to focus on Bible prophecy. And yes, you know, when you do look at it today, you do think that actually Satan is getting the upper hand. In fact, there was a famous quote by somebody lately that said heaven is overrated. You know, and what are people's beliefs on Satan concerning Satan? And they range from the silly to the abstract, from a little red guy who sits on your shoulder urging you to sin to an expression used to describe the personification of evil. Well, Rick, as we are coming to today's program, we focus on the prophetic passages of the Scripture over one-third of God's Word to help us to understand the times in which we're living, why it's important that we do what we do, and... We try to edify and educate the body of Christ, and that's what we're gonna to do today. Well, let's get started. We've got a lot to cover. Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Paul Weaver coming back to us, a professor at Dallas, a good friend of our family, and Mike Dell Perude coming back to talk about an attack on the church and our world, not only just the church, but youth in general around the world today, the future should the Lord tarry, of those that will carry forth the gospel message. Well, let's get started with our first interview, Rick, Ken Timmerman.
1: Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an analyst and an author. His book, And the Rest is History, Tales of Hostages, Arms Dealers, Dirty Tricks, and Spies, is available wherever you buy your books. Ken, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, we have many things to get to today, but we'll start off with one of the biggest stories coming out of the week. And basically, it was a Putin ally warning NATO that nuclear war is possible if Russia is defeated.
2: This is something that we've been looking at for some time, and it's an issue that Americans have a hard time understanding. I think the media hatred of Putin has reached such an intensity that nobody listening to the American media... Has an understanding of Russia's goals, of Russia's requirements, of Russia's national security needs, and they don't care about them. Uh, They would just like to see Putin go away or be annihilated. The problem is for Russia, Ukraine is an existential conflict. Putin sees the NATO involvement in Ukraine as a direct existential threat to Russian territorial integrity. And that is a big, big problem because Remember, and we mentioned it on the show, Russia's defense doctrine says if their territorial integrity is threatened, they can use nuclear weapons.
1: Well, certainly seems like 2023, uh, with all the success or lack of success they had in Ukraine, 2023 is going to be a make or break year for Russia and
2: Putin. Well, I think it will, but uh, don't count Putin out. And too many people here in the West are easily doing that. They say the Russian army is exhausted. Yeah, it's tired, but they just mobilized 300,000 people and they've probably got about 120,000 of them already in Ukraine ready to go to war. And that offensive is likely to begin in the coming weeks and it will be brutal. What the Russians fear in addition to this NATO presence in Ukraine is that the United States and our allies will open additional fronts against them in Armenia, in Kazakhstan, Moldova, in Georgia, for example, backing color revolutions. We've done it before. We did it in Ukraine in 2014. We did it in Georgia in 2008. And the Russians are worried that we could do it again. So they see uh, a year where their worst fears could materialize. We just seem to see a year where arms manufacturers are going to make a lot of money producing more weapons and shipping it out to the battlefields.
1: Well, with his success, or lack of success, as Putin becomes more and more isolated around the world, he is moving towards his allies, and one of those is Iran. And there was a phone call this week. They are continuing to grow their relationship, are they not?
2: Uh, Absolutely, and uh, Iran is just one of Putin's strategic partners, but a very important one because, obviously, of the shipment of these drones. By the way, those drones, which include quite a number of US parts, including engines, which are made by a company in Austria owned 50% by Bain Capital. I've mentioned that before, but I mentioned it again because Mitt Romney was the founder of Bain Capital and he still has not said a word about this. Also, Russia's allies uh, include China and the Chinese president, uh, as we mentioned last week, is coming to Moscow sometime in the coming months. This is important. Russia continues to ship oil to India. And don't forget that they have maintained friendly relationships with Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and most of the countries in the Gulf. So I don't think Russia is quite as isolated as some people say. Certainly, they have been cut off from Western Europe. That is a fact. And that fracture line now through Europe is becoming more solid uh, and more violent and more dangerous.
1: And one to keep an eye on, that's for sure. And we have been doing that on this program. Well, if we continue to talk about Iran, Secretary of State Blinken basically admitted the obvious that the nuclear deal is dead, but warns Tehran of consequences.
2: I was kind of interested to hear Anthony Blinken make that statement. He was at a press conference in Washington with his British counterpart, and he admitted what we have all known, but he has never said it quite so explicitly That the deal is not just dead, but that there was a deal on the table that Mm. everybody had agreed to a few months ago, and it was just the Iranians who rejected it. That, I think, is the news that came out of that press conference, that they actually had a deal, and it was the Iranians who walked away from it. What's also extraordinary is that the U.S. administration would have continued to tout that deal implicit as it was for several more months until finally admitting that it's dead. Well,
1: can some of the consequences that Secretary Blinken said they may face would be for their cooperation with Russia, but also for their brutal crackdown on the protests that we have detailed many times on this program.
2: Well, you know, Rick, I would like to see a U.S. crackdown on the sale of spare parts to those Iranian drones. Uh, most of it, however, is under the authority of the Commerce Department. It is commercial off-the-shelf technology. It's not uh, controlled by the Pentagon. It's not strategic technology. But still, the U.S. can intervene with those suppliers and stop it. And we've had months to do that and done nothing. So I really don't see these so-called consequences that Blinken is threatening as being very serious. And I guarantee you that the Iranian regime does not take them very seriously.
1: I've heard you say before on this program that it is even somewhat of a disgrace that we have not at least tried to help those protesters more than we have already.
2: Well, that's right. And, and Biden for weeks and weeks and weeks was completely silent. The State Department said virtually nothing. They still are not saying an awful lot. Uh, I will be up in Washington, D.C. in February uh, doing a conference about those protests on Capitol Hill. Uh, we talk about them a lot. And certainly the Iranian community, I can tell you, in this country and in Europe is very much energized trying to get governments around the world to at least give diplomatic support to the protests, to try to isolate the Iranian regime, to delegitimize this government in world organizations such as the Human Rights Council of the United Nations. It's absolutely absurd that they participate in things like this.
1: Well, it certainly is, Ken, and I do believe that they deserved more than they got, but we can continue to support them when we can. You talked a little bit about China as one of those countries that Russia is relying on as an ally, and some news coming out this week that their navy is going to be larger than even the U.S. Navy, and I guess when it comes to the amount of ships that you have, the size does matter, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it sure, it sure does, Rick. And it's interesting to see this happen and people to finally wake up. I did a study on Chinese military spending back in 2013, and I forecasted that by 2020, uh, 20, the Chinese would overtake the U.S. in military spending. And guess what? That is exactly what has happened. Their fleet size has gone up. Uh, we will not get back to where the Chinese are today until 2045. And uh, as a number of analysts have said, the bigger your navy, the more you consider it as a strategic force and the way that you use it becomes different. If you have a couple of warships where a coastal navy, as the Chinese had for several decades, you are not using it in a strategic manner. You're not using it to support your geopolitical goals. Now the Chinese are sending their ships not just all across the Pacific. Uh, They have built ports in Panama, along the Panama Canal, in Suez, in the Caspian Sea, all over the world. So they see themselves now as a blue water navy. And this is a big problem for us. We are losing the defense industrial base to support a 400 or 500 ship navy. We're just barely at 300 ships now. And what the Ukraine war is showing us, that that industrial base is being challenged in, Navy ships, but also on things like artillery, we 're in a situation rick it's it 's quite extraordinary. It goes back to what I was writing about in my latest book and the rest is history during the iran Iraq war there were the Iranians and the Iraqis fired off so many artillery shells that no single nation could provide them with the supplies so they organized a gunpowder cartel to supply both sides in the war right now, the United States is doing something of that with ukraine we 're tapping uh, supplies that are in israel and in um, South Korea and sending them to Ukraine, but we are not yet rebuilding our military industrial base. This is something that we need to do if we're going to keep pace with China in the decades to come.
1: Well, Ken, thank you so much. As we said, you're an author, your latest book, and the rest is history, Tales of Hostages, Arms Dealers, Dirty Tricks and Spies. Very interesting read, somewhat of an autobiography for Ken, who has a very interesting and neat and informative story to tell. Ken, thank you so much for
0: being with us today. We look forward to talking to you again soon.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Rick. It's uh, always great to be.
0: Ken Timmerman with the Nations of Europe. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan with our Middle East News update focusing on the nation of Israel, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Extremists bombed a Pentecostal church on Sunday in the Democratic Republic of Congo, killing 17 and wounding 39. The attack took place in the eastern Kaysindy region. The DRC military blamed a rebel group affiliated with the Islamic State. Todd Nettleton, with the Voice of the Martyrs USA, expects to see more attacks against Christians in the region. Ask God to strengthen local believers. Keep track of new attacks so you can pray knowledgeably about the situation. An Open Doors 2023 World Watch List was released yesterday with some surprising changes. The World Watch List ranks the 50 countries with the worst persecution of Christians. India held 10th place since 2019. But this year, India moved back down to 11th place and instead was replaced by Sudan. Eric with Mission India says, The country still has a long way to go for the protection and freedom of Christians. Join them in praying encouragement for persecuted believers. Mission Network News, a service of One-Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
4: Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program
1: that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is our Middle East News Update, and joining us as he does every week is Dave Dolan. He's a journalist and author. Dave, thank you for being with us this week. A blessing to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave. Last week we talked about the protest, the judicial protest, the changes to the judicial system in Israel. We kind of touched on it. Well, it looks like that situation has exploded in a big way in Israel.
5: It has, Rick. The Israeli Supreme Court, which of course is at the heart of the issue, uh, that they are too activist, too left wing, too ready to get involved in government executive decisions of uh, similar arguments here in the States, as I mentioned. Well, during the week they ruled 10 to one, there's 11 Israeli Supreme Court justices that the in- new interior minister, he's also health minister, Ari Derry, the head of the 11 member Joss, a Spartac, uh, Orthodox party, very popular amongst uh, poor groups in Israel and workers and that sort of thing, as well as religious Jews that he uh, cannot be a minister in the government, that he has to either resign or be fired by Prime Minister Netanyahu. Won't go into the weeds, but this is due to a plea bargain that he made with um, the court last February, not the Supreme Court, but a lower court, admitting that he had not paid all of the taxes that he owed when he was last a minister in the government. And there were earlier charges in earlier decades against him. He's a longtime Israeli political figure, as you know. And so the court said it was implied in that plea bargain that he would not uh, return to politics. But, of course, he did. He headed up the Shost Party's campaign in the election and, as a result, has been appointed a senior minister. So this has the potential of uh, crushing Netanyahu's new government uh, just after a month or so in office, because Shah says it will fight this, it will fight hard, that it does not accept this. Uh, Derry made a statement on Thursday saying if they close the door, we'll go through the window. If they close the window, we'll go through the roof but we're going to keep fighting to keep me in uh, the government. Now, he would remain a Knesset member. The ruling wasn't against that. And he could remain in the Shas party as an unofficial leader, but not be a cabinet minister, they're saying. Well, again, the right wing, uh, Itzmar Ben-Gavir, the new police minister, and Schmoltrick, the new justice minister, and others are saying this is Supreme Court overreach. Into the executive branch It would be akin, Rick, to uh, the U.S. Supreme Court Vetoing certain of the president's nominees for cabinet posts in, in his own government And they're saying this is overreach It's separation of powers and The Supreme Court shouldn't be able to rule on this And one of the 11 justices did agree with that. He said This is we've gone too far here, that he didn't state he would never return to politics, and that these were relatively minor charges, tax evasion, basically. He said unless the person is accused of, quote, moral turpitude, uh, they should not be barred from sitting in the uh, prime minister's cabinet. So we'll see where this goes. But if Shost were to uh, leave uh, the new coalition, be forced out, Uh, that would definitely cause the collapse of the government.
1: Interesting timing on this uh, ruling by the Supreme Court, because if you look at it, last week we were talking about these protests for the changes to the judicial system, and now the Supreme Court picks this time to make a controversial move.
5: Yeah, it's very odd. But of course, there were um, cases brought against Derry by several groups demanding that he be removed from the government from a cabinet position. So that's what brought it now. And of course, it's a high level decision. And that's what Supreme Courts are supposed to mostly be there for important pending decisions, so the timing is just in that sense coincidental, but it certainly illustrates to the right wing in Israel and the religious parties that there is a bias against, you know, there's been other cabinet ministers down through time that have had other charges against them, including Netanyahu still has two pending cases against him, or maybe it's three. So uh, you know, it seems a bit uh, odd that they would go after Derry so hard. And he's a very popular figure, Rick, uh, amongst the Sephardim in Israel. They're about forty percent of the population. Very popular figure with most of them, and uh, he's gotten them a lot of benefits over the years. Their party, when they've been parts of governments, and he's been a minister. I don't know, three or four or five times. So it's a bit uh, odd to some people that this is happening now, but. And of course, they see it on the right as an attempt to crush the new Netanyahu government as they pretty much make clear on the left they want to do.
1: Very interesting, Dave. We'll continue to keep an eye on this developing situation. Uh, You look at this and the balance of powers between the legislative, the judicial, the executive, and then, of course, you wrap it all up in politics. It does have the potential to bring the government down. So this is a very important moment we'll have to wait and see what happens well we'll move on from israeli politics and let's talk a little bit about the temple mount of course that's something that we monitor on this program and david there was actually an incident this week involving the custodial power the nation of jordan and israel can you tell us about that a little bit
5: yes rick this is also a rather odd story it got a lot of coverage in israel and jordan The Jordanian ambassador to Israel, Ghassan Majali, wanted to visit the Temple Mount and go up there and pray on Tuesday, and he attempted to do that. Uh, He showed up at the Lion's Gate. That, of course, as you know, is the gate that Israeli forces entered in in 1967 on their way up to conquering the Temple Mount and that area for Israel. And he was stopped by a policeman there. And he said, Who are you? What are you doing? And et cetera. Well, apparently, the Jordanians had not informed anybody that their ambassador was planning to visit. That morning at the Temple Mount, normally that would be diplomatic protocol to do so. So the guards weren't told, they didn't know, and this, this policeman simply didn't recognize him. So he said, uh, well, sir, wait here, and he was with several other you know, people in his delegation, oh, wait here, I need to call and get authorization to let you in uh, first. So he started to make the call, and the uh, ambassador took umbrage at that, and he, he actually is seen on video yelling at the cops saying, get away from me, get away from me, and he turned around in a huff and left. And it created a diplomatic incident. The Jordanians called in the Israeli ambassador in Amman, gave him a dressing down. He said, look, this is simply because he hadn't coordinated anything. We didn't know about this. Had we known, the doors would have been wide open and we would have had an escort already waiting for him, this sort of thing. So it's at its bottom line, Rick, it's again a question of whose God is God and who has the right to be up on the Temple Mount, and the Jordanians do see themselves as the custodians of the Temple Mount for the entire Muslim world. And that is, in fact, what Israel recognizes as well. It doesn't mean they have sovereignty in Jerusalem, but they do recognize they have a special role there. And he was just saying, hey, you have no right to even know who I am, you know, when I'm coming in here, which is a a little absurd. But it did calm down the Jordanian reaction After they dressed down the ambassador, the Israeli ambassador was fairly mild, and they didn't seem to want to make a a further issue of it. But uh, it could have, of course, sparked violence and sparked more rioting. It doesn't take much, as we've witnessed so many times, to do that.
1: The Temple Mount, a center of controversy both now and in the prophetic future. Well, David, quickly, because time is running out, there is a story right now that says that Hamas is looking to exchange prisoners with Israel.
5: Well, of course, Israeli governments always say they'll try to get all their boys home and even the remains of any of their soldiers. In this case, there are two soldiers that were killed in the 2014 war. Uh, They say they have their remains. And then there's two live uh, Israelis. One's an Arab Israeli, a Bedouin. The other one is an Ethiopian immigrant. And both of them walked into the Gaza Strip on their own. The Ethiopian went along the beach in the north, and the Arab went in another way. But their families both say they are mentally disabled, that they didn't really know what they were doing and that they should have been returned a long time ago. This happened in 2015 and 14 that they went over. So yes, Hamas sees this as a bargaining chip. They want the release of hundreds of Palestinian prisoners in exchange for these two live Israelis and the remains of the two dead ones. It's being discussed in Israel, but uh, not very enthusiastically. And once again, Egypt is acting as the mediator in this
1: and these terrorists that could potentially be released, some of them actually have blood on their hands, don't they?
5: Oh, absolutely. There's some high-level Hamas officials and high-level terrorist members of the Northern Sumerian terror groups that have been in the news a lot in the last year. So the Israelis, of course, are very reluctant to do that. But they're getting a lot of pressure from the two families that, of course, want their sons back. And, uh, and yet again, those two guys voluntarily, even if they are mentally a little bit out of it, they voluntarily went into the Gaza Strip. So the Israelis don't feel quite the pressure for that. And, of course, the remains of the soldiers are remains. They want it back, but it's uh, in exchange for big terrorists on the Hamas side, it it seems a little bit ridiculous.
1: Well, David, so many different facets each week that we look at. They are all interconnected right now, especially with the the political uh, situation that's in Israel. We appreciate you being our guide through all of these issues, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
5: With God's help, I can do it. God bless. We're going to
1: take a break right now, but when we come back, we'll have more right here on Prophecy Today Radio.
4: Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I get this question all the time. I know you do at conferences when we speak, when we travel, when we are uh, traveling to the Holy Land, which by the way, we have a trip coming up in March, just in case anybody's interested. But when, you, uh, when, when you're faced with this question, Rick, why do we study Bible prophecy? What answer would you give to folks?
1: Well, we've had some great answers from some of the people in our program, including Paul Weaver, who we're going to talk to today. And his podcast is entitled Why the Bible and Theology Matters. And you know what? It matters that we get it right. From start to finish, we need to get the scriptures right. We need to study. We are meant to understand all of scripture. So it's very important. And then on top of that, when you look at Theology. Dad always used to say, Your eschatology determines your theology. So you can't have one without having the other. You have to have them both right.
0: You're exactly right. Well, Dr. Paul Weaver, a good friend of our family, comes to the program today. We're going to talk to him about the importance for studying Bible prophecy. Paul Weaver joins us. He's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Paul, uh, what is your actual title there?
6: Well, I have the privilege of being an associate professor of Bible exposition, which means I get to teach through basically the whole Bible and a course on hermeneutics, how to study the Bible.
1: We originally met Paul uh, through our uh, connection with Word of Life. Paul used to be a missionary um, and was basically the academic dean of the Bible school there in Hungary and then was mm-hmm. in New York. So he's, we've been involved with him in ministry many, many years now. So thank you for joining with us today.
6: Oh, it's a great privilege. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Now, you've been on the program with us before. We were talking about Dr. Charles Ryrie in a book that you wrote, and now I notice you have a new podcast entitled The Bible and Theology Matters. Give us your thoughts when creating this podcast.
6: Well, Rick, as we've already mentioned, I have the privilege of teaching, and I love teaching students who are able to devote two to four years of their lives to studying God's Word, Yet, I realize that not everyone, in fact, most people don't have that opportunity uh, to get a formal theological training, but they can listen to a podcast on their commute to work or as they get ready in the morning or while doing yard work or exercising. And so this podcast is designed to help equip anyone interested, really, in learning more about the Bible and theology by exposing them to incredible Bible scholars and Bible expositors. So, The Bible and Theology Matters podcast is typically a 30-minute conversation with Bible scholars and Bible expositors about all things Bible and theology, and we challenge people to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God and in their relationship to the God of the Word.
1: Well, that's an excellent thought, because like you said, not everybody can go to Bible school or even seminary or become a doctor, but right, we can listen to a podcast, and God does call us Mm -hmm. all to be students. Well, your first episode was titled, Why the Bible and Theology Matters. For the short answer, not the 30-minute answer, but for the short answer, Mm -hmm. what's the answer to that question?
6: Well, um, as I'm sure you're aware, the title is intentionally a double entendre. We discuss issues or matters relating to the Bible and theology, but the title also is significant because Bible and theology really does matter, because what you believe determines how you behave. If you really believe something, it will impact how you behave, and I think that is why the Apostle Paul often discusses issues of doctrine and only then wrote about duty. He discusses belief. And then afterwards, behavior, because what you believe really does determine how you behave.
1: Absolutely. That's a great thought. Well, my dad used to say that your eschatology determines your theology. And I noticed that some of the first programs that you did were series Mm -hmm. on the rapture, the tribulation, and the millennium. Can you tell us why you believe that these doctrines are foundational to the Bible student as they seek to understand God's plan Laid out
6: in his word. Uh, Thanks for that question. Great question. Uh, You're exactly right. Uh, Prophecy is very important. I appreciate what you all are doing uh, with prophecy today. There are over, as you know, and your father mentioned many times, there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible Mm -hmm. that were prophetic at the time that they were written, uh, which is approximately 27% of the Bible. You know, I didn't do the math, it's someone else's math, but. uh, Uh, The sheer volume of prophetic Mm. passages in Scripture clearly indicates that prophecy is very important to God and should be very important to us as well. I'd also add that every single prophecy regarding Christ's first coming uh, was fulfilled literally and precisely as promised. So we should expect that prophecies regarding the Lord's second advent, when he comes as a conquering king, will be fulfilled literally and precisely as predicted in Scripture and related to that. I would say, if I can say this uh, carefully, if the Jewish religious leaders at the time of Christ's first advent were well-versed in their Hebrew Bible and prophetic scripture, not just the ones about him coming as a reigning king, which will be fulfilled in the second advent, but also those about a suffering servant in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere, uh, they would have recognized that Jesus was their Messiah, is their Messiah. And finally, the book of Revelation, as you've mentioned many times, and your father as well, is the only book in the Bible that contains a specific blessing upon those that read it. So, But sadly, even with these many good reasons to study prophecy, uh, many churches and schools have de-emphasized the study of the end times.
1: Well, that's true. That was definitely one of the reasons or the main reason that we started the Prophecy Today ministry, because so many people look at it and think it may be confusing. But like you said, if God put it in his word, he gave it to us for a reason. He wants us to study it and it can be understood. It's not just a book that was put in the Bible. That's Mm -hmm. not one we pay attention to, correct?
6: Very much. We want to emphasize every passage of scripture, if it's there, it's there for a reason, and we need to study it and understand it and help others to understand it.
1: So if we determine that the study of Bible prophecy is important, can you give us some key principles to keep in mind when we study Bible prophecy?
6: Well, one of the hermeneutical principles is the normal, plain, literal interpretation, and Mm. those words are interchangeable, usually normal, plain, literal. By literal, we mean Seeking to understand using the natural laws of communication, uh, what the original author intended to communicate to the original recipients. Of course, the prophets were directed to record the inspired word of God, and so we use what we call a normal understanding, using normal laws of communication, uh, plain understanding, and and a literal whenever. Uh, Ryrie would say this, Dr. Ryrie, and I know it's probably not unique to him, when the literal sense makes common sense, seek no other sense.
7: Mm, that's good.
6: And so we want to, unless there's something in the text that indicates that it's figurative or symbolic, and even symbols in the book of Revelation, symbols have literal reference. So it's not just a beautiful poem. There are actual literal reference where each of these symbols uh, refer to something. And so uh, using the natural, normal, plain, literal um, method of interpretation is very important. And I also mentioned authorial intent. I think that's crucial. Uh, That's really the only valid basis to objectively determine whose interpretation is correct. Uh, What did the original author intend to communicate under the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit? And and so it seems to me that Daniel, it was clear to him when he's reading the prophet Jeremiah uh, in Daniel chapter 9, that he took it literally that the 70 years of Babylonian captivity were coming to an end. And so I think Daniel's a great case study or paradigm to say, okay, Daniel even understood prophecy to be interpreted literally, and uh, was expecting uh, a return to the land uh, soon. And of course, that's how we should approach Daniel 9, 24 to 27 as well. And all the prophecy that hasn't been uh, literally fulfilled yet and we can expect it to be literally fulfilled just as the prophecies relating to Jesus' first advent were literally and concretely fulfilled.
1: It's an excellent point. So true, and having a few key uh, principles when you're studying Bible prophecy, things that you hold to, and as you read things, and as you read and reread and reread prophetic mm-hmm. passages, it will become more clear to you. Again, like I said, God didn't put it in there as a riddle, He put it in there Mm -hmm. for us to understand. Well, along Mm -hmm. those lines, uh, in a world that seems to be descending into chaos, we see more Mm -hmm. and more crazy things happening every day. And and it certainly can be almost discouraging sometimes when you look at it. Mm -hmm. But if you take a look at the study of Bible prophecy and the knowledge that there is a God and he does indeed have a plan that we can know, Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, how does that comfort and or motivate
6: you? Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, it certainly is encouraging, isn't it? Uh, knowing in the midst of difficult circumstances, knowing that we have a God who's sovereign and that nothing catches Him by surprise. It is a difficult days that we live in, and and it's horrible what's happening in Ukraine and and around the world with Christians being martyred. And I do believe the Book of Daniel was is the favorite of the persecuted church uh, because they see in it that God's righteous kingdom will finally will prevail Hmm. and that the wicked Gentile nations uh, will be removed and and be judged. So we certainly aren't unique. Our generation isn't unique in the sense of facing difficulties. Uh, The Jewish people certainly taken into exile under Nebuchadnezzar, Faced difficult days. Uh, The Christians in the first century during the Neronian persecution, difficult days. Certainly the Thessalonian believers facing significant trials, significant tribulation, but not the tribulation or uh, the period of coming, God's coming wrath on the world. And in the midst of that, Paul, the apostle, provides them with doctrine about the rapture of the church. And then he says, encourage one another with these words, right? So prophecy of the rapture is an encouraging message. So uh, we can be reminded of that. And that helps us in difficult days. But it's also motivational, as you indicate. Uh, prophecy is certainly motivational. Uh, the doctrine of the imminent return of the Lord, that mm. Christ could return at any moment, is incredibly motivational. And we think of First John, when John says, in light of Christ's return, purify ourselves as he is pure. Uh, if we believe that Christ could return at any moment, it impacts how we behave. Uh, What we believe impacts how we behave. We want to live pure lives that uh, would make God proud and us not shrink back uh, in embarrassment at Christ's return. Uh, Prophecy is also motivational in that it reminds us that we need to live in light of eternity. We're sojourners, right? We're pilgrims. This is not our final uh, place. If we live 100 years, that is a long life, but we need to live in light of eternity 100 years doesn't even compare to eternity, which leads me to my next thought. The imminent return of the Lord uh, is followed by the beam of Christ. That's prophecy too, the judgment seat of Christ. And that too motivates us that one day we'll stand in the, before the Lord and give account for our, what uh, we've been given, our gifts, our abilities, our finances, our possessions. And we want to be good stewards of that so that we're Uh, rewarded at that judgment seat of Christ, which leads also to my next point, the coming kingdom. We will be rewarded and have privileges in the coming 1,000-year reign of Christ in light of what we do uh, with what we've been stewarded, uh, what we do with what we've been given, our time, our money, our possessions. And so, Rick, maybe you will get the incredible responsibility to rule over Atlanta. i probably get something much smaller, maybe uh, Pottersville. uh, (laughs) But. But Jesus said of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom on earth, that is the theocratic kingdom, that they'll be greater than John the Baptist. Uh, And I think he meant by that that we're going to have this incredible privilege to rule and reign with him. And I want to be a good steward now uh, because the implications do go into the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And, And I'll close with this. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying prophecy, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So every time we pray that that prayer, we are praying for God to bring his kingdom, the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ, and bring it to earth. And we long for that day, don't we? And, of course, it will be preceded by a time of judgment on the world, a tribulation. But we look forward to the day where wickedness will be judged And righteousness will reign supreme in the coming kingdom where the king of kings and lord of lords will rule in a righteous kingdom. Prophecy is indeed motivational.
1: Wonderful answer, and that was really a great answer, very inspirational in and of itself. But when it feels like things are out of control, realize that we have the manual, the guidebook, and we Mm. can go back to it and look at it. Well, uh, your podcast really will help people do that. It's got not only—prophecy is definitely in it, but it's not only prophecy. Could you give our listeners a way to get this podcast or where they
6: can find it? Sure. Uh, we're on most any podcast platform that you can listen to and download your podcast. But you can also go to our website, which is simply BibleAndTheologyMatters.com. That's Bible and spelled out A and D. BibleAndTheologyMatters.com.
1: Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope to have you back on the program
0: again sometime soon.
6: That'd be great. Thank you, Rick.
0: Well, one of the things that we do on our program is try to alert the body of Christ to issues that they should be concerned about. You know, we we're always concerned about issues, but there are some issues that are encroaching into the church, into our realm as parents as youth pastors as pastors of churches and different things like that a good friend now who was on the program a couple of weeks ago talking about transhumanism talking about experimentation of mixing the animal and human dna together pastor mike della Peruti. he's uh, been a pastor for 22 years he's an adjunct professor at shasta bible college in california He's written a book, which is what we're going to talk to him about today. But just to know that, you know, all of us can be involved in what's going on and understand and be able to stand in this time when we need real leaders that will stand because we're coming under attack. Welcome to the program today, Pastor Mike.
8: Jimmy, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, and you wrote a book that we talked about, and really, we had so many people that asked for your website, for information about you, uh, how to find this. After our first interview, I wanted to have you back because you wrote a book, The Danger of Puberty Suppression. How did you get into this?
8: Well, about five years ago, I read an article that claimed some doctors, specifically pediatric endocrinologists, were prescribing drugs to gender dysphoric or gender non conforming children as early as age eight. A gender nonconforming child is a child who identifies as something other than their biological sex. So just imagine a little boy who thinks he's a little girl. The argument goes in order to provide a more convincing transition for him at adulthood, puberty suppressors are given in order to prevent the development of primary and secondary sexual characteristics mm-hmm. in childhood. And the first time I read it, honestly, I didn't believe it. My impression was that this was a fabrication or conspiracy theory. So I fact-checked it, and I was shocked to learn not only is it true, but it's being practiced at an alarming rate, and it's being defended by claims that these things are safe, effective, reversible, medically necessary, and ethical. And those claims simply are not true. So I've taken the position of the watchman on the wall, And I've been trying to warn parents, teachers, the church, whoever will listen about the danger of puberty suppression for the past five years.
0: Well, what are puberty suppressors?
8: The simplest way to define puberty, let's start there, is that it's a holistic transition from childhood to adulthood. Mm. And let me emphasize the word holistic. If you're a parent listening, listen closely. It's not like... Human reproductive organs develop apart from everything else in our body. Our bodies develop as a whole. Mm. And there are different ways to measure puberty, like when it starts and how it progresses. So I'm going to approach this from a chemical perspective, because as a child progresses through puberty, chemicals are released in their body in succession, and that's very important. So brief recap for your listeners. Phase one, androgens. Phase two, bursts. Of gnrh phase three human growth hormone puberty Mm. suppressors interrupt phase two so do not be deceived they do not stop puberty as a whole they interfere with one phase of puberty while allowing the other two to continue and that's a problem because as i explained this is a holistic process interfering with one part of puberty Will permanently affect the entire body. So think of this as a house. A house consists of foundation, walls, and a roof. What happens if you remove the walls? Mm. That's the best way I know to illustrate <laughs> what puberty suppressors do to gender nonconforming kids.
0: Were puberty suppressors developed for transgender children?
8: No. And that's the issue. Uh, there is a right use of puberty suppressors. And there is an unethical use of puberty suppressors. The technical term for puberty suppressors are GNRH agonists. So remember, this relates to phase two. These are synthetic hormones. They are not cheap. They affect the entire body. These synthetic hormones essentially shut down the pituitary gland because instead of fluctuating levels of GNRH, you have a constant high level of GNRH, and it causes adult maturation to slow or to cease while allowing phase one and phase three to continue. And again, that's a big problem. And I'm going to stress this. Your body's a closed system. These are interrelated processes. Puberty suppressors don't just affect primary and secondary reproductive organs. They affect the brain, the bone, and organ development. And as though that were bad enough, now on a separate but related issue, there's cross-sex hormone therapy where Preteen boys are being given supplemental estrogen and preteen girls are being given supplemental testosterone in order to develop secondary, secondary, secondary sexual characteristics of the opposite gender for the sole purpose of providing a more convincing transition later in life. A recent study followed a group of gender dysphoric children through gender affirmation. About 70 children were given puberty suppressors. Out of those 70, you would expect a maximum of 14 to persist. That means pursue surgical transition, while statistically the rest should desist. That's 80%. In the end, you know how many desisted? Mm. Zero. They all proceeded to the next step of transition. This is a self-fulfilling prophecy. By forcing puberty suppressors on children, we are also forcing them down the path To a transgender lifestyle based on a self-diagnosis. LGBTQ activists in this industry have everything to gain by continuing to recruit and advocate for puberty suppressors. So what you're seeing is two worldviews collide. On the one side, there's a Christian worldview where we understand God creates male and female, a binary gender. On the other side is a secular view of humanity that considers humans to have evolved and gender is a social construct, meaning it's created by humans and we can recreate it. Now, the common ground is that both sides recognize there's a problem, Jimmy. A GNC child, a gender nonconforming child, is not healthy. The solution from the secular side is to change the body mm. so it matches their mind as much as possible, and that is not effective. Christians need to be able to, prevent, to present a superior solutions. And we do have a right to speak to this issue, as Dr. King once wrote in his famous letter from a Birmingham jail. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And Jesus Christ Himself taught that not only are we created male or female, but teaching anything else to children is a destructive lie. And He had some pretty direct warnings <laughs> to anyone who would harm a child. You know. He sure. So did. Christians need to. Yeah, we need to. We need to take a little time to understand this issue. Uh, there are, the fact is, many children and teens with gender dysphoria have comorbid or contributing factors. Many of them have experienced sexual trauma as a child. Mm. Now, we don't know why sexual trauma as a child results in gender dysphoria, but it seems to be a major factor, and it's, it's not disputed. Emotional abuse is another one. Children going through emotional trauma either directly from their parents or facing tension in the home, tend to be more likely to experience gender dysphoria. Uh, A recent study has revealed that a surprising number of kids who identify as gender nonconforming are also testing high on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I want you to understand, puberty suppressors won't correct any of those problems. They won't help a child who has suffered sexual trauma. They won't help a child who's facing physical, emotional, or spiritual abuse in a home, and they won't help a child who's autistic. Now, as Christians, there are things we can do to help these children. You know, but the church is going to have to really take a step of faith here. And on some have compassion, mm-hmm. making a distinction. Others saving with fear. And I would I would tell you the three most important things The church can offer to parents of gender disordered children and to gender disordered children are time, prayer, and a mentor. Time. This is not a problem that goes away overnight. Mm -hmm. It takes time. It takes patience. Prayer. You know, when a father brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus and said, your disciples couldn't help, Jesus instructed him, You know, this kind, he only comes out through prayer and fasting Uh. and mentorship, a same gender mentor, healthy friendship with an adult of the same gender is one of the best relationships, one of the best ways to help a child through this process by showing them that, you know what, you're a boy who thinks he's a girl because you like fashion. Listen, that doesn't mean you're a girl. That means you're a boy who happens to be artistic. Mm-hmm. And there are other artistic males who have embraced the fact that they're males. Mm-hmm. The Church does not have to feed into this into this popular narrative that just because a little girl likes to play sports, she might be a little boy.
7: Mm.
0: Wow. So much to think about, Pastor Mike. I appreciate uh... You delving into this, and I realize this is very intricate. There's a lot of information here uh, to think about uh, the dangers of what's going on. But we are in a war for our children. The fastest way, if, if Satan cannot affect us as believers, as adults, he attacks the little ones. And you're so right. Jesus was very uh, aware of any type of uh, attack on young children, um, wanting to protect them. Pastor Mike, uh, the book, The Danger of Puberty Suppression, uh, they can reach that, uh, they can get the book on Amazon, correct? That's correct. Yes, uh, go to Amazon. And uh, Mike Della Peruta, spell your last name, so they're going to have to, they're going to probably have to put that in there to find it.
8: Sure, it's D-E-L-L-A- P-E-R-U-T-E.
0: Yes, and Pastor Mike, thank you so much. This is tough. Hopefully you're a friend of ours now that we can come back and keep looking at this situation because we're under attack today. Our children are under attack, and uh, it's only going to keep continuing into the future. Thank you, Brother Mike. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
8: Thanks so much for having me, Jimmy.
0: I hope this information is important for you because the more we understand how Satan is deceiving the world and us. That's important in the days in which we're living. We're going to be right back with the Legacy Series, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, right here on Prophecy Today weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, in the previous half hour, I mentioned about going to Israel. We've got an Israel trip coming up in March. What can you tell us about it?
1: We do, Jimmy. Excited to go back to Israel. We love being in Israel. We figure it's the greatest place to teach Bible prophecy, to teach anything about the Bible. It's the greatest classroom in the world. The trip is March 8th. We actually still have room. If there is anybody who is interested in going, if you'd like to call and talk to us, 423 825-6247. We'd love to talk to you, and maybe this could be a chance for you to get to Israel.
0: Yes, and that trip, again, is March 8th through the 17th, so uh, hopefully you'll be able to join with us on that trip. Well, today on the Legacy Series, we're going to continue, and we're going to answer the question, is the United States in Bible prophecy? We will also look at other nations who will be included in the end-time scenario. That could be found in Bible prophecy, nations like Europe. Uh, what about China, India, and all the nations of the Far East? The Lord will allow all the nations of the world to gather at Jerusalem in the last day. We'll find out more about the destiny of these nations of the world today in our study. Please take your Bible and go to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. And Dr. Jimmy Young, with the Legacy Series.
9: All the nations of the world are going to gather at Jerusalem. Every nation is going to be there. Should America be around after the seven-year tribulation period? The inference is America will be there. There's no other even suggesting any place in Scripture where America would be. Now, that's Scripture. Here's my sanctified speculation. I don't believe America's going to be around at the end of a seven-year period of time. America on the slippery slopes of moral decay, educational decay, military decay, economic decay. America who kills babies and lets sodomites play in the street. I believe God has to deal with. And when you take the backbone of this nation out of America, the body of Christ, born again believers. When you take the backbone out, this nation on this power pedestal is going to fall. I don't believe America will even be in existence. The only reason God has blessed America is because we are the launch pad for world evangelization. Money, manpower, materials come out of America to reach the world for Christ. Another additional addition is because we've stood with the Jewish people. We come along to protect the Jewish people. But when the rapture happens, that's not going to be the case. But indeed, when we see this happening in the end of the tribulation period if america's still around they're going to be a part of that particular event we're looking at the key nations look back here in chapter 16 and verse 12 here's another Group of nations that will come at the end times notice what it says in verse 12 and these are nations that we know about today so i'm trying to give you some idea of what will happen with these nations look at verse 12 and the sixth angel uh, poured out his vial upon the great river euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that they may make way for kings of the east That they may be prepared to come into Jerusalem as well. The kings of the east. By chapter 16 and verse 12, half of the earth's population will have been killed. The fourth seal judgment kills one-fourth. The sixth trumpet judgment kills another fourth. That means half, another third, that means half of the earth's population has been destroyed. At a present population of approximately six and a half to seven billion people, what are we going to have at that point in time? We'll have a group of people that half of them will be wiped out. Three point, what, five or six billion people will be taken off the earth. And so, in essence, where you have over in China and India, Somewhere in the area, almost 3 billion people with the two populations together, that's going to be the group of nations who are going to come in against Israel in the last days. And so we're seeing these nations. I don't have the time, but you can go to Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 to 24 and find out. The revived Roman Empire will be a major player in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, the revived Roman Empire. And I believe we have that infrastructure in place for the revived Roman Empire, which would indeed be the European Union setting the place, putting a foundation in order to have this revived Roman Empire. But what I would like to show you is a group of nations that are most important for us to look at in light of where we are in God's prophetic timetable. Go to chapter 11 of the book of Daniel just a moment look at chapter 11 and verse 36 it talks about gives us another name for the antichrist one of 27 names verse 36 and the king shall do according to his will and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods now that's describing antichrist antichrist will play a role in the beginning of the tribulation period he's endeavoring to try to portray himself as the messiah so he's going to protect the Jewish people remember the tribulation period the seven years starts the clock starts ticking when the antichrist confirms a peace treaty Daniel nine twenty seven, and he the antichrist shall confirm a covenant that's the treaty with many that would be the Jewish people and her neighbors who are their enemies of Israel for one week that's the seven year period of time so the rapture takes place the revived roman empire comes into existence the little horn out of the revived roman empire one named for antichrist comes to power he confirms the peace treaty and the seven years starts in chapter 11 we see the antichrist because when we look at the rest of the verses in chapter 11 from 36 to 45 we see the pronouns he his and him that's replacing antichrist it means it's talking about the antichrist then we see that he attacks the king of the north and the king of the south that's in verse 40 and at the time of the end that's that seven year period of time leading up to return of christ at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind now early on in chapter 11 i mentioned who they were king of the north is the king antiochus the great You know where he was headquartered syria the king of the south and by the way the scriptures here in chapter 11 says that the king of the north married the daughter of the king of the south and the king of the south was located in egypt now he set two nations in place syria and egypt they come against him what do you mean they come against him well israel has a confirmation of a peace treaty signed by the antichrist and so when these nations start to attack syria in the north egypt in the south they start to attack antichrist comes rushing back into the glorious holy land why because after he sets up this peace agreement he goes to rome italy he puts up in place a false church headquartered in rome italy he's in charge of that church so he's out of the land look at verse 41 of daniel 11 and he shall enter also into the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown now notice who he doesn't bother he does not touch with his hand edom moab and the chief children of Ammon. You know who that is? That's modern day Jordan. He doesn't touch Jordan. He goes to the north, wipes out Syria. He comes down through Jordan. Why didn't he touch Jordan? Petra is in Jordan, where God's going to protect the Jewish people for a three and a half year period of time at the end of the tribulation. He doesn't touch Jordan. He goes to the south. And when he gets down there, verse 42, he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver. Notice, and all the precious things of Egypt. Now, notice the next nation. And the Libyans, Syria, Egypt, Libya. First three nations that make a move against Israel. These are the nations that make them. Go to chapter 38 of Ezekiel, just for a second. Just for a second. Chapter 38 of Ezekiel. It lists some other nations that will come into this coalition. Verse 2, Son of man, set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog. We know that's Russia. And prophesy against Meshech and Tubal. Go to verse 6, Gomer and Tagarmah. That's modern-day Turkey. Tayyip again wants to be the pan-Islamic leader of the world. That's where Islam stopped its spread. That's where it'll begin again. And these nations going against Israel. Look here in verse 5, Persia. Until 1936, Persia was known by the name persia but then in 1936 they made it three states iran afghanistan pakistan and then it says ethiopia that's ethiopia Somalia, sudan libya that's modern day libya if i could take you to psalm 83 you'd see saudi arabia and lebanon also mentioned these nations coming against israel in the last days when do they come look at verse 8 of chapter 38 "...after many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations." Jews out of the nations of the world gather in Jerusalem. Over the last 100 years, out of 108 nations, Jews living in Israel. But look what it says. And they shall be dwelling safely, all of them. Verse 11. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. To them that are at rest, dwelling safely. Unwalled villages. That's a military terminology. Ezekiel didn't know anything about F-16, marked for tanks. He didn't know anything about the Apache attack helicopter. He knew that the defense for the Jews then was a wall around the city. So he said, when they lay down their weapons, their defense, these nations attack. Do you notice the lowest common denominator among all these nations? They're Islamic. The Islamic world, Syria, Egypt, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Russia, Saudi Arabia. Lebanon, all ready to attack when they're dwelling safely in the land. Chapter 38, verse 18 through 39, 6 says, At that point in time, God rains hell, fire, and brimstone out of the heavenlies to wipe out the Islamic world. Nine eleven 11 was the beginning of the end the Islamic terroristic genie released from Pandora's box, the major player, up until the rapture of the church. Rapture happens, and in the first six months of the tribulation period, these Islamic nations gather to wipe out Israel, and God intercedes and destroys the Islamic world. Why? Because Antichrist would be putting together a false religious operation. A mother-son cult in Rome, Italy. Islam will not cooperate. It must be removed. You see, you're either a Muslim or you're a dead person. Your choice. Thus it must be removed for God's prophetic scenario to take place. The only thing keeping this prophetic truth that I've just given you from unfolding is the rapture of the church. That's how close we are. How then ought we to live? Father, thank you for this awesome book that you've given us. an amazing book, articulate. It's accurate. It's authoritative. It speaks to the issues of today it helps us to recognize the times in which we're living and so father i pray that you will help us to be students of the word of god recognize the times in which we're living and in light of the truths that we glean make certain we're prepared living pure and productive until he comes let us appropriate the truths become applicable for our everyday life as we move eagerly towards your return, which could be at any moment. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. What an awesome thought. We're living at the time of the end as described by the ancient Jewish prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. The nations of the Middle East are ready to attack the Jewish state of Israel right now. Again, I say there is only one thing that must happen before these prophecies are fulfilled, and that is the rapture, which could happen at any moment, even today. Are you ready? Are you saved? If not, admit you're a sinner like I did one day, believe that Jesus Christ can save you, and call upon him to save you right now. If you're already saved, keep looking up. Jesus is coming, and it could be today. On next week's broadcast, we'll begin a brand new study and discuss how the Bible says that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will be resolved. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung
0: and the Legacy Series. You know, that is the most important decision that you could ever make, is one to decide to follow Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, as the God of the universe. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book. We'll wrap it all up right here on Prophecy Today weekend.
3: I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Extremists bombed a Pentecostal church on Sunday in the Democratic Republic of Congo, killing 17 and wounding 39. The attack took place in the eastern Kaysindy region. The DRC military blamed a rebel group affiliated with the Islamic State. Todd Nettleton, with the Voice of the Martyrs USA, expects to see more attacks against Christians in the region. Ask God to strengthen local believers. Keep track of new attacks so you can pray knowledgeably about the situation. An Open Doors 2023 World Watch List was released yesterday with some surprising changes. The World Watch list ranks the 50 countries with the worst persecution of Christians. India held 10th place since 2019. But this year, India moved back down to 11th place and instead was replaced by Sudan. Eric with Mission India says, The country still has a long way to go for the protection and freedom of Christians. Join them in praying encouragement for persecuted believers. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer.
4: Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome
0: back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Today's program, Rick, we learned about those nations Is the United States in Bible Prophecy the nations that will be involved with the end time scenario with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series? And that's why we talk to Ken Timmerman, David Dolan. We cover Bible prophecy because it does help us to understand the times in which we're living. And as we look at these nations, it really is interesting to see how things are playing out in light of Bible prophecy, isn't it?
1: It sure is, Jimmy. And when we started off the program, you talked about uh, the effect that Satan has in this world and how each one of us believe that Satan is working in this world. And I think as you look throughout the program, there are many areas where you can see that uh, Satan is trying to impact and influence the world. And the main question is, whose God is God? We talked about that with Dave Dolan. We talked about that with Ken Timmerman, as we talked with Ken Timmerman and the things that are taking place in Iran right now and they have a false theology and a protest that are taking place, but many of the actions that they are taking are essentially coming into line with where the Bible says they are going to be in the end-time prophetic scenario.
0: Yes, uh, you know, when we talk about Satan in the very beginning, and I brought it up because I do think as Satan was cast out of heaven, he still today seeks to elevate his throne above God's. He counterfeits all that God does, hoping to gain the worship of the world and encourage opposition to God's kingdom. Satan is the ultimate source behind every false cult and world religion. Satan will do anything and everything in his power to oppose God and those who follow God. However, Satan's destiny is sealed in eternity in the lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter 20. And Rick, as we see these things, you know, we study Bible prophecy. I like the fact that when we focused on all those nations, we talked to people about because we have an understanding of Bible prophecy. But, you know, today there is the importance of studying Bible prophecy. Churches are not teaching Bible prophecy. We're basically, we are one generation away from, you know, and with today's young people, the attack, from Satan, on the young people, not only of the world, but in Christian society. We have churches that are, you know, not upholding their responsibility. Um, And, you know, basically we are making decisions every day that are going to affect tomorrow. Those decisions that we make are about how we understand God's word and how it plays out. And so, as we look at the importance of studying Bible prophecy, it helps us today not only to understand how to live, but to understand why the world is acting the way that it is. You know, Satan's plan, Rick, to defeat God, to defeat the holy angels, and to defeat man. And through history, he's been doing that. He sure has, Jimmy. And
1: he put it in scripture. And you said, Satan, like you said, Satan has a plan. Well, God has a plan. God put that plan in the scriptures, and he put it there so we could know it. And he could put it there so we could look at the times, the signs of the times that which we are in, and we can see that that plan is really, at this point, quickly coming together. And and that's an encouragement. And I know uh, as we talk about all these different things that are taking place around the world today, and we do it not because we're news junkies, but we keep an eye on what is taking place in the world. But as we look at all these things coming together, you see the hand of God uh, moving to put pieces in place. This whole prophetic scenario is quickly coming together. Many things that we have talked about on the program for years and years and years. We talked to Dave Dolan, and he talked about the Temple Mount, and Dave constantly stresses, who's God is God that's what this battle is over, and uh, the Temple Mount, the most holiest spot on the face of the earth? And we've talked about that many times it's the place where the Garden of Eden was, it's the place where the temple is going to be stand during the millennial period. So many things taking place on that spot. And Jimmy, the world focuses on that, don't they?
0: They sure do. You know, Bible prophecy is profitable, it's proven it's practical it's purifying and it's promised it's profitable because over one-third of god's word the way that he communicates with us and i don't believe he speaks audibly to us today he speaks to us through his word one-third of god's word all of scripture um, all the scripture is given by inspiration profitable for every aspect of our lives we are to study the word of god and rightly divide it it's proven, you know, those 500 prophecies that came true pertaining to the first coming of Christ, those remaining 500 prophecies are going to come true that pertain to his second coming. And that gives me the confidence, Rick, as we live in this world to understand that God is sovereign. He is in control. He has a plan. And you know, that is so inspiring to us as believers to know that God is in control. When we realize that, we have nothing to fear, as it comes to Satan. Now, Satan is is a powerful, but he's not all powerful. He's a, a knowing, but he's not omniscient. You know all these things that God is. Satan falls really short, but he is a lion seeking whom he may devour. Studying God's word from First John chapter three, where it talks about, you know, uh, looking for and and beloved is does not appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. And the person that is looking forward to the return of Christ, that rapture of the church, the person that has that within him purifies himself. So knowing that Christ could return at any moment is what makes us pure. And then, of course, it's promise. We receive a blessing from studying The book of Revelation, but we'll also receive a reward and one of those rewards that we get the crowns that we lay at the feet of Jesus to say thank you, Jesus, for those things that you have done for us. And that is mentioned in Second Timothy, chapter four, verse eight. So, Rick, on today's program, hopefully folks are understanding why we're focusing on these nations and the importance of studying Bible prophecy. Thanks for joining with me today, Rick, and we'll look forward to next week. And I'm so excited about a new book that we're going to be talking about. Good friend of ours, Chris Kotoka from Friends of Israel. His book, Israel Always, and the Role of the Jewish People so that we might understand God's plan of salvation for all of mankind. Look forward to seeing you next week again, Rick. It'll be my pleasure, Jimmy. Folks, with everything that's happening, the rapture could happen today. Let's keep looking up.
4: Until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.